Hello, and welcome to Sanity Optional, Episode 14. My name is Silent Snooper. I hope you are doing well this week. This episode is going to be a small smattering of hopefully interesting subjects, so relax or do chores or whatever you wish, and I hope you enjoy. My first topic is a question I had the other day while playing video games, and it zipped into my head unbidden, but it made me curious enough to investigate. When does a murder become an assassination? Well, we could look at this based off of the definitions. A murder is the unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. An assassination is the act of murdering a prominent or important person, such as heads of state or government, politicians, royalties, celebrities, journalists, or CEOs. Now that seems simple enough, but is it really? I rather disagree with the definition of assassination. I do agree that the person assassinated needs to be someone of import or influence, but I think an assassination differs from a murder in that an assassination results in the shift or change in the balance of power or wealth, and that it was ordered or carried out by a person or a group of people who directly benefit from the death of the person killed. I think there has to be a premeditative, carefully planned reason for the assassination. Take, for instance, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne. It has been 107 years, almost to the week, by this time this episode is released since the incident. He and his wife, the Duchess of Hohenberg, were in Sarajevo on June 28, 1914, when six assassins from the Black Hand Secret or Not-So-Secret Society shot and killed both of them out in the open public. The point of the assassination was political, and was meant to free the South Slav provinces uh, from Austria-Hungary, so that they could be incorporated into Yugoslavia. Due to this, Austria-Hungary issued an ultimatum to Serbia, which was rejected, and so Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. This led to war between most of the European states, culminating in World War I. However, if the Archduke was killed, say, while being mugged, and the mugger didn't know who they were mugging, then I would classify that as a murder instead of an assassination. And I'm unsure if it matters if the murder is accidental or not, as I think it depends on the motive behind the event. Like, killing someone for pocket change is murder, even if the person killed is important. Killing them to cause a shift in power or influence is an assassination. What do you think? Do you agree or disagree? On to the next topic. You may or may not have heard someone use the term Gordian knot. I hadn't, so I investigated. It is a metaphor for a complicated problem which is easily solved by removing the constraints of the problem by thinking outside of the box. Like cutting the knot instead of trying to untie it. It dates all the way back to the time of the Phrygians. The Phrygians were a Bronze Age civilization that spoke an Indo-European language and dwelt in an area once called Anatolia, or Asia Minor, which makes up most of modern Turkey. They were closely intertwined with the Greek civilization as they influenced early Greek music and art. 
it is estimated that the Phrygians came to be around 1180 BC and died out in the 7th century AD. Up until around 690 BC, they were an independent nation, but then the Sumerians invaded. Then the Phrygians were conquered and ruled by their neighbor Lydia, then the Persians, then the empire of Alexander the Great and his lineage, followed by the Attalids of Pergamon, and finally became part of the Roman Empire. The last known mention of their language dates to the 5th century AD. At one point, there was no king ruling over the Phrygians, but via an oracle from Telmissus, a decree went out that the next man to drive an ox cart into town should become king. That next man was a peasant farmer named Gordius. His son Midas, yes, that Midas, dedicated their ox cart to Sabazios, a Phrygian god whom the Greeks equated as Zeus. This dedication was done as a form of gratification. Midas then tied a knot from the ox cart to a post using Cornell bark. Cornell, sometimes called the Cornelian cherry tree, is a medium to large deciduous shrub whose berries can be used for a multitude of products, including jams, alcohols, foods, and medicines. The wood is very dense and sinks in water, and was widely used by the Greeks to make tools along with spears, javelins, and bows. What is so special about this knot is that, according to a Roman historian, it was made from several knots, all closely entangled to a point where it was impossible to see how it was fastened, and so the Gordian knot was born. The cart was still in place in the palace of the former kings of Phrygia at their capital of Gordium when Alexander the Great arrived in the 4th century BC. An oracle had decreed that any man who could unravel the Gordian knot would become ruler of Asia. Alexander tried to undo the knot, but failed. He then realized that it probably didn't matter how the knot was unraveled, so he clove it in twain with his sword. He then went on to conquer Asia. This is the popular account of how Alexander solved the Gordian knot, but there are theories of ways he did solve the knot without cutting it, like pulling the linchpin from the yoke, or pulling the knot out of the pole pin, thereby exposing both ends of the cord and being able to solve it from there. So if there is a problem that seems difficult or impossible to solve, referring to it as a Gordian knot is appropriate, and then maybe try to think outside the box. I hope that was interesting. The next topic is from an article I read a couple months ago from physicsworld.com about using wood to generate electricity. But first, let's get a word definition out of the way. Piezoelectricity is the energy generated by the piezoelectric effect, which is where a material generates an electrical charge as a result from applied mechanical force, like bending it or stepping on it. It was discovered in 1880 by French physicists and has since then been used in a multitude of applications. Everyday uses include ignition sources for cigarette lighters and push-start propane grills, as amplification pickups for some guitars, as triggers and electronic drums, 
and as the time reference source in quartz watches. It also helps scientists with scanning things in atomic resolutions and is a specific kind of inkjet printing method, among other uses as well. One of the materials with piezoelectric properties is wood. Granted, the amount of electricity generated in this way is ridiculously small, in fact, 20 times less than that of a quartz crystal using the same methods. However, Swiss researchers have discovered that if you infect wood with fungus that eats the wood, the amount of electricity produced is 50 times greater than before. The displacement of crystalline cellulose in the wood caused by mechanical force is what generates the electricity. The current idea is that while it doesn't generate much electricity, when combined with other green energy systems, it could help to reduce energy requirements and assist with energy efficiency. So, say the floor of an office building or a dining hall was made from this stuff, with people walking around on it all day, generating small bursts of energy. Over time, this could help to keep certain lights on, or be stored in a battery. Things like that. If you change the structure of the wood, the piezoelectrical performance can be improved upon. Scientists in Zurich placed wood in a hydrogen peroxide and acetic acid mixture. This concoction dissolved the lignin in the wood. What remained was the cellulose framework which has a higher elasticity and flexibility than regular wood. When the researchers applied mechanical forces to a one and a half centimeter cube of this wood, they found that it generated 0.69 volts of energy. This is 85 times the generation from normal wood. 30 of these 1.5 centimeter cubes were connected and were able to power LEDs and a simple LCD for a stability period of 600 cycles. The researchers wanted to find a way to do this without harsh chemicals, so they began looking at fungi to achieve the same effect. They infected balsa wood with a certain white rot fungus for a period of 4 to 12 weeks. They tested a piece of wood after each week and found that the 10th week produced the best results. The wood sample lost 45% of its weight, it had the best compressibility performance, and it returned to its original shape after the mechanical forces were removed. Using the same size of wood block as before, the 1.5 centimeter cube generated 0.87 volts, whereas the plain wood only generated 0.015 volts. The fungal wood was stable for 500 cycles, and the more mechanical force was applied, the more electricity was generated, to the point where only 9 blocks were needed to power an LED, whereas before 30 blocks were required. As far as structural differences to the chemically treated wood, the fungi secretes enzymes that degrade the lignin in the wood, while keeping the cellulose intact. The wood cell wall itself is changed by this process, which enhances the natural piezoelectric properties. Now this technology is a bit of a ways off as far as common everyday use, but folks are looking at ways to use this stuff. My favorite one that I saw is using the wood as the floor of a museum or something like that, and use it for security purposes. 
It looks like a wooden floor. It acts like a wooden floor. It is a wooden floor. But if you step on it and generate enough charge from it, an alarm will go off. What are some interesting ways that you would use this technology? Our next and final subject is also about using biology to influence and affect technology. Locusts use electrical and chemical signals to process information regarding possible collisions and are able to use this extremely fast and accurate warning system to help them avoid said collision. This system is affected for when the locust is flying or grounded and allows them to be able to fly in the millions without hitting each other. Back in the early 2000s, Dr. Claire Rind, along with other scientists, was studying this fascinating system in locusts to try to work out how it could be applied to self-driving vehicles and robots. Most autonomous robots and vehicles use things like radar or infrared detectors to assess approaching targets and get their trajectory, but this requires a lot of processing power. This new method, which is modeled on the locust's eyes and neurons, requires less processing power. But how to acquire this information? Locusts have in their brains large nerve cells, which are called giant lobular movement detectors. It is big enough that all the researchers had to do was simply insert some probes under the skin and make contact with the nerves. So there you go. You can now measure the electrical discharges from the locusts. But how do you make it react? Well, the researchers made little tiny armchairs for them and strapped them in, and then forced them to watch the Death Star battles from Star Wars on repeat. All those spaceships flying around, laser bolts flashing on the screen, and quick movements made an active scene for the locust to respond to. Any time a ship seemed to fly at the locust on a collision course, their giant lobular movement detectors sent out signals for them to dodge out of the way. Thus, the scientists were able to collect the data on how it works. Using all this information, they designed a circuit that behaved like the giant lobular movement detector. The circuit was integrated into a small robot, which was able to avoid collisions with a 91% accuracy rating. This technology has been developed further and has been used in self-driving cars and other applications to assist in getting around an environment and avoiding collisions. And I find that quite interesting. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sanity Optional. I apologize for the length of the episode. Life has been pretty busy lately, but I too hope to do a longer episode next week. If you would like to leave feedback or comments, feel free to contact me at sanityoptionalpodcast at gmail.com or on reddit at r slash sanityoptional. I have been taking a break from streaming, but I hope that come July... I can start that up again. I hope you have a good week, and stay sane if you want. It's optional.